As we come to 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon is now the king. He has replaced his father, David. We're told in chapter 2 that David, we had the final words of David we did topically a couple weeks ago. And then in chapter 2, he says, I go the way of all the earth. He said to Solomon, and then he stepped into eternity. And so it is with all of us, as I even was mentioning earlier. And it's the time of Solomon. And it's about, you know, it's about 1000 BC-ish. And he's the third king of Israel. Saul was the first king. He's a bad king. God replaced him. David's the second king. He's a great king. And he's the one with the heart for God. And his son Solomon is now the king. David had many sons. And as you know, Adonijah tried to ascend to the throne. And he led treason against his brother Solomon, whom God had chosen to be the king. All that's behind us now. Solomon is a king. He's on the throne. His mother Bathsheba is there. Like at a, she's in the palace as well. And this is where it's at as we pick up the text. Now, in chapter 3, it starts that Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter. And so we talk about these political allegiances that monarchs have where you, it's kind of hard to attack your father-in-law as an army. And so um, Solomon has married Pharaoh's daughter, and so he's married outside of Israel. And this will be his downfall later on, all the foreign wives he took and all that, but that's for another study. He already had an Ammonitis wife before that when you harmonize the scriptures. So in his personal life, he's repeating some of the mistakes of his father, David. But like his father, David, he has a heart for the Lord. And we're told before we get to our text tonight that he loved the Lord. And so he went to Gibeon to offer up sacrifices to the Lord there in modern Israel. And we pick it up in verse 4, and we read this. Now, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, and there was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. And you have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is to this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king instead of my father David, But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you've asked this thing and not asked long life for yourself nor ask riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself to understand, to discern justice. Behold, I've done according to your words. See, I've given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there's not been anyone like you before, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I've also given you what you've not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall be none, there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So, If you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. So the contrast between David and Solomon, David had the heart for the Lord and all the many mistakes that we read about that he made in 2 Samuel, the adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of Uriah, his, one of his mighty men, 
Then David took the census against the will of the Lord. That caused some problems. But as a whole, if you look at his whole life, the macro picture of his life is a great life. He loved the Lord. He wrote all those beautiful psalms. And there's none like David. He's, most world cultures have heard of the great King David from the Holy Scriptures of the Bible. Then Solomon, his son, is different than David, of course. But remember, the child that Bathsheba and David had from adultery, that child died after seven days. And in their grief and sorrow, they mourned together. And then eventually God gave them another child, Solomon. And Solomon is beloved of the Lord because he was beloved of the Lord. God actually set Solomon apart. So in the birth of Solomon, we really have that symbolic picture that in Adam all sin and die, but in Christ all are made alive. And that first son died with the sin, the adultery, but the second son, they find grace because even being married after the adultery, God redeems all that and gives them a son, beloved of the Lord. They found grace. And this is part of that beautiful redemption story. Now, interesting things about Solomon, in the Old Testament, we know the Bible makes clear that all have sinned come short of the glory of God and that we need to be saved by grace and through faith find mercy and, and, and believe in God and trust in the Lord and his promises for salvation. It's clearly there in the Old Testament. But Solomon is the one person in the Old Testament that said, all have sinned. So the wisest man, we're told right here, he's the wisest man that ever lived. He says, because we know like Romans 3.23, you got a Billy Graham crusade or a great glory crusade. You know, the Bible says that all have sinned. Solomon says that in the Old Testament. That's what Solomon said. Solomon would say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Solomon is the great king known for his wisdom. That he asked for wisdom and in this dream. The dream is interesting. Dreams are interesting. In our mind are trillions of cells. And the capacity to... Our mind is the ultimate supercomputer. And our subconscious retains everything, all the images, the memories. It's all there. It's all in us. It's all there. And there's something about when we fall asleep and we're almost awake or awake to sleep, these two dimensions that we have. And there's a sweet spot. There's a sweet spot where there tends to be a lot of creativity. In fact, I'll tell you, I usually take a nap every day that I teach. And I fill my mind with the scriptures I'm going to be teaching. And as I wake up, I just meditate upon the macro thoughts and maybe the points. And I just let it seep into my subconscious so it's there instinctively when I'm teaching. The mind's an amazing thing, and dreams are an amazing thing. Now, I've been in ministry for 34 years, and a lot of people have come to me over time saying, like, I had this dream. Is it of the Lord? Is it of the devil? Is it of me? And that's the tricky thing with dreams, right? In my own experience, I've had dreams from the Lord. I've had absolute, very profound dreams. Many of you know, before I won the Pipe Masters, that same night of December 16th to December 17th, 1984, I dreamed I won the Pipe Masters. And when I won the Pipe Masters on that afternoon on the 17th, there was a moment in the finals that was exactly as my dream was. And my dream was so clear where I woke up, I was so bummed because I had fulfilled my life goal. My whole life was winning the Pipe Masters. And I had fulfilled it in my dream. And then I woke up, I was like, oh, no, it's just a dream. But then in the finals, I had this, the dream that I saw was fulfilled in the final. And that moment in the last 15 minutes of the final, I knew I was going to win the Pipe Masters. And I knew the Lord had given me that dream. 
And I've had a few other dreams like that since then. I once had a dream in Virginia Beach. We're going to do an outreach with another church. And I prayed about it. And the Lord said, don't do that outreach. It's going to flood that day and no one's going to come. It was the strangest dream. Like, I woke up like, wow, like, how do I tell this pastor I had a dream? God said it's going to flood and no one's going to come. So I told him, I just, I don't feel led to do this. I think it's, there's going to be a flood and no one's going to come. That's the day it rained six inches in Virginia Beach. And everything was flooded out, and nobody came. They persisted with the event, and literally nobody came. You just never know, right? But I've had other dreams that didn't come to pass, and so have you, right? Maybe you had an intuitive dream, and it came to pass, or you had something that you felt like it was from the Lord. A lot of times people come to Christ because God gave them a visionary dream, and then it comes to pass, and they realize they're in a great glory crusade, like, this is my dream, and they go forward, right? Or someone prays with them. So we know God works that way. God does like to work in the dream world. In the New Testament, we see there when Jesus is announced to the world, Mary, Gabriel, and others, God speaks in the dreams to the shepherds. He, he gives warnings. He's, he, 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 he speaks in dreams. We're even told prophetically from the book of Joel that people will prophesy in the last days and that you'll dream dreams and things will be there. So when we think about just dreams in general, don't underestimate the Lord. Don't try and spiritualize everything and make it a dream from the Lord. But just, you know, the Bible says, test all things, hold fast, that which is good. I've had really bad dreams from the devil. I've had a couple of very special dreams from the Lord. And I have all kinds of strange dreams because I've been a funny little man for 61 years. Okay? So I just don't think too much of it. It's like, if the Lord's in it, he'll confirm it. He'll give me some kind of confirmation. Because we test all things. So if God gives you something, if it, if it matches up with Scripture, if it's contrary to Scripture, that's not of the Lord. If it's discouraging to your faith and makes you, dumbs you down and makes you small-minded for the kingdom, that is not the Lord. But if it's something like, hey, the Lord's saying look out for this or be aware of that, or hey, step out in faith with this, it could be the Lord. A dream's kind of like sprinkles on your frosted cake. The word of God is the cake, and the spirit is the frosting. A dream might be the sprinkles kind of give you things. But of course, in the Bible, there are very profound times very deliberate dreams. They're absolute, and they were received by faith. This dream is real. This dream changed the world. And if you don't think so, one of the greatest historical books in the history of humanity is the book of Proverbs written by Solomon. There's more archaeological support for his book than the human history they teach in the UC college system of Roman history and other world history. We have all kinds of historical records of Solomon's book of Proverbs that predate the time of Christ, archaeological support. We have all these things availed to us confirmed by archaeology. He's, he lived 3,000 years ago. God said by his spirit, he's the wisest man that ever lived. God gave him, so you think something like Einstein, really smart, right? Or Thomas Edison, 10,000 failures, figures it out. Henry Ford, brilliant mind, get it done. We can't make a V8. Yes, you can. Go back in the room and figure it out, right? Like, there are some really brilliant minds. I mean, they're driving a Jeep on Mars. I don't think it's broken right now. I think it's working again. There's people that are really brilliant. We have rocket scientists in this church. But Solomon's really smart. In fact, we already saw in chapter 2 that David, before he dies, goes, he tells Solomon, look, use your wisdom. This is before the dream. He's already shown, like, he's that dude. He's that guy. And David's like, hey, use your wisdom to know how to deal with Joab then use your wisdom, that wisdom that you have, to do a shimei. So that he already, that he had incredible gifts. There's, he, had, he had wisdom, just the ability, like, oh, he's just that guy, like a genius wisdom. 
But then after this dream, it's a whole other level. And only Jesus, who of course is the son of God, surpassed that. He's an incredible person, Solomon. And this dream tells us about what happened between him and the Lord in that sort of conscious, subconscious area where the Lord came to him in this dream. And it changed human history. I read the Proverbs within every three days. I have a book of the Proverbs that Keith gave me, our congregant who's here tonight. He gave it to me. It has some previous markings. He bought it at a used bookstore. It's a living Bible, like from the 60s. It's just Proverbs living Bible. Easy translation. It's really nice. It's because I've learned all those verses in New King James, so it's neat to kind of see them in a, 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 like an easier reading language. And I read them just, I read them every time I read the Proverbs. Don't you feel the same way when you read the Proverbs? You just go like, wow, like, just, it's all there. It's so practical. Wisdom, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and that's what all starts in Proverbs chapter 1. And then it's just all there. When I met my wife, before she was my wife, I read to her Proverbs 31 about the virtuous woman. And I said, what do you think of this? And she goes, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I'm like, what are you doing for the rest of your life? <laughs> I can remember it as clearly as, as, clear as, as yesterday. And it was almost 35 years ago. The virtuous woman. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Solomon learned something with 300 wives and 700 concubines. He never found that virtuous woman, I don't think. And he knew she was out there. And so he's like, yeah. Hopefully you'll find her. And I did, and men, I hope you found yours too. So this is that Solomon, and this is that dream. But the key thought in this dream is, look what it says there in verse 5, where the, the Lord says, What shall I give you? What shall I give you? Ask, what shall I give you? Now, Jesus told us to seek, knock, and ask. The Bible tells us you have not because you ask not. So here in this dream, Solomon's the king. He's inherited all this stuff. His dad saved up all this wealth. He's in charge of something, a landmass the size of Southern California. He controls what would be the equivalent of billions of dollars of industry and wealth, real estate wealth, gold wealth, people wealth, asset wealth, commodity wealth, all that. He's in charge of it. He's a king. This is not democracy. He's the king. And the Lord says, ask, what shall I give you? This is the question of the night for all of us. If the Lord came to you and came to me in a dream, because I've been thinking about this all week and we talked about it Tuesday night. If the Lord comes to us in a dream and says, what shall I give you? That first thought is a key thought initially. Now, we might be moved by different things. And if you've been in physical pain with an infirmity, I think of Daniel Lindbergh and his vertigo that he's had for like five years. He's almost always spinning now. I can rarely come to church. And I'm sure Daniel Lindbergh would say, just that my head wouldn't be spinning, that I'd be healed of the vertigo. Because if you have physical pain and, it's, and you can't function, what's a, your health is the, the thing you really want. In Think and Grow Rich, the famous book by Napoleon Hill, the fears that people have, one of the number of fears is failing health, growing old, and dying. But failing health is one of those big three down the stretch. And our health will fail down the stretch. But you can have feeling health where you're not as mobile, but you can have feeling health where you're in excruciating pain. And whenever I talk to people that have severe pain, it, you just that's all you can think about. When you're in severe pain, you can't think about anything. So if the Lord says, well, ask what you want. If you were healthy, you might say, hey, a house on Dana Point on the Strand right there. Yeah, that house. But if you're in excruciating pain on a scale of 0 to 10 and 8, you're thinking like to be pain-free. So it's all relative what you might ask for. But of all things we could ask for, the most important thing we could ask for are things that are spiritual. 
because those are the things that benefit us in time, space, and matter, and those are things that will benefit us for all eternity. And so this question was posed to Solomon as we look at this text for the rest of the evening. I want you to just keep going over in your mind, just mulling it over. What would I ask for? What shall I give you? Maybe it's deliverance from sin that's a stronghold. Maybe it's deliverance from a relationship that just you can't, that it's just toxic and you're bound to it by the law, through work or whatever. It's like, maybe it's to be delivered from debt. Maybe it's to build wealth and to feel more secure financially. And maybe it is to be pain-free. The Lord knows. Maybe it's like E, all the above, really. Maybe it's just to know that someone truly loves you. You know, I've known a lot of very, very wealthy people. Very wealthy people. And famous people, too. And the thing about wealthy people, they'll all tell you, is you never really know who your true friends are. Being wealthy is people treat you differently. And the thing about money is everyone's got an opinion how money should be spent. And some really good friends that have a lot of money, they're like, hey, everyone's got an opinion how to spend my money. And it starts in my household with my kids, and it goes to all my relatives, all my co-workers, and my hundreds of employees. And it goes back to the governor and the president and the IRS. They've all got ideas how to spend my money. And it's true. See, we can ask for temporal things, but we'll leave temporal things behind. If we're asking for the spiritual things, that's going to move us toward glory and transformation to become more like Jesus. And of course, there's nothing more valuable for our souls and our being and our purpose in being alive than to become more like Jesus. The Bible tells us we're being transformed from glory to glory. In Adam, all sin and die. And with Eve, all sin and die. So who wants to be like Eve? Getting old, losing her beauty in the flower of her youth, to be just unpleasant down the stretch? Now, there's some Eves that aren't saved, that haven't given their life to Christ, and they can be pleasant women in assisted living, memory care. I remember being in memory care a couple years ago, and this woman just kept coming after me. You ripped me off on that car deal. She wouldn't leave me alone. It's lockdown memory care. She's, I'm not, I'm not the guy who sold you the car. She had Alzheimer's, dementia, and she just, I, I was the guy. I'm like, boy, this woman had a really bad experience with a car, and she thinks I'm the guy who sold it to her. I'd like to think that a spirit-filled woman, when she gets to memory care, and I saw some in memory care just two days ago, and she was smiling, I'd like to think that the spirit-filled woman, that all, that good, all those good things of the Lord were good things in that place. See, if you put good stuff in and you're being transformed from glory to glory, when you, 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 because Alzheimer's is like Swiss cheese and different parts of the brain can be missing with Alzheimer's. And so, like, you might be missing this, you might be missing this, short-term, long-term memory, different things. But if it's all good, then whatever you have left is good. But if it's daughter of Eve or son of Adam, then what you have is bad. And we have all know people that are older, and they just get vile and vulgar and evil, and they just say the worst things. I remember going to visit my grandmother 20-plus years ago in Vista, assisted living, and she was in her 90s, and there was a guy up front, and he was just spewing the most poisonous, vile, evil profanities and vulgarities out in, front, in the front door. For anyone walking in and out of that place, I was like, ah, note to self, don't end up like that. How do we not end up like that? Because he's gone. He's in eternity. By asking for the right things, the eternal things. When we're more like Jesus, we forgive. We're not bitter. When we're more like Jesus, we're gentle and we're kind, not harsh and wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath, but an angry spirit stirs it up. So when we say, the Lord asks you, 
what shall I give you? And you think about that on September 3rd, 2022, whether you're younger or older tonight, the answer is everything. And if you think like, I really want wealth or temporal things, I can worry about it and the government can take it with their new IRS agents or whatever, then fair enough if that's what you want to ask for, but that's all going to be taken away. Solomon had all of his wealth, and he said in Ecclesiastes at the end of his life, you save up all this money, you work hard, you build a business, it's an incredible business plan, and that knucklehead kid's going to wreck it all. That's a paraphrased version, but that's basically what he said. And wouldn't you know that's exactly what happened? Because Rehoboam, his son, the son of the Ammonitess, he came to power, and wouldn't you know that political allegiance of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter? First thing Pharaoh did after his son-in-law died is come invade the, the relative. As soon as Solomon died, Pharaoh shows up, and he invades Israel. And what does he do? He takes the gold shields of Solomon. He came and took the gold shields. And what does Rehoboam do? When you're dumbing down, you make bronze shields. He didn't expand the kingdom. He retracted it. He was in unbelief. He didn't have the faith of his father or his grandfather, David. He was retracting. So he's got bronze shields. And he can't even enjoy the bronze shields. He puts them away and locks them up every night. He brings them out in the morning. Look, my bronze shields, like my, my bronze medals for Team USA. Trust me, gold's better than bronze. And there it is. And then at night, we're told, we'll see this as we go through kings. He'd pack them up and put them away. When you think temporal, you get temporal. And Pharaoh takes what's yours. And you end up with bronze, you don't have faith, you're unbelief, and you offer up offerings to idols. Listen, when Jesus is Lord of everything, he's making you like him. And you're forgiving, you're gracious, and you're storing up treasures in heaven. Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Solomon was really smart. In his self-awareness, which is a word I got when I did all that training with the U.S. Olympic Committee, but it is a good phrase, self-awareness. When the Lord said, what shall I give you? In his self-awareness, he said, I am but a little child. He talked about God's faithfulness to his dad. He understood the legacy he received as the son of the king. And he said, I am but a little child in verse 7. Now, he's a king over Southern California. And he's not building debt. He's building wealth. He built wealth. Like, Solomon is like, and he wasn't a socialist. He was a capitalist. He built wealth, and he built wealth. He strengthened his army, and he protected his wealth. And the kingdom expanded its borders, and it thrived like never before. Geopolitically, he was brilliant. But now he's on the throne, and he says, I'm but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. I don't know how to govern. I don't know how to serve the Lord. This is a great responsibility. My dad took a census and he shouldn't have, and 70,000 people died in three days. We can't number the people I'm over. I, I can't take the census, you know, because kings like census because it's taxes, right? Jesus is going to be born. What does Augustus Caesar do? Hey, count everybody so we can tax everybody. Solomon's like, we can't even count them. These are God's people. And remember, this isn't like Queen Victoria with England or Wilhelm with the third with Germany or the Prussian Empire in the 1800s. This isn't like those Austro-Hungarian kings or... Catherine the Great or Peter the Great or any of them, the Romanoffs, it's, it's not like that. This king is in a covenant with God. There are no, this is the uniqueness of Israel's kings. They're not kings with state religions like the Polish kings. That, you know, Every king back in the day in the medieval times, and really up to about 100 years ago, they got a state church. So when Catherine the Great, the Prussian duchess, marries uh, the grandson of Peter the Great, she has to go for, they're all Christian, but she has to go from being like a Lutheran background and then be married in the Russian Orthodox faith. 
And that's a big deal, because remember, like, they've had a lot of wars in Europe over one thing, communion, for example. Like, they had some big wars around Luther's time over just the issue of communion. Is it really Jesus' body, or is it symbolically that? But those are all earthly kings and queens with religion, the religion of men, you understand. But this is the Lord. This is the covenant with God. When Solomon builds the temple and dedicates the temple, the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of God that you're going to see when you step into eternity as a believer, it comes to him. They're overwhelmed. The priests can't even keep worshiping. The cloud fills the room. There, he's a unique king. There's lots of kings. You study the Joseon dynasties in Korea and the Chinese dynasties. There's been lots of kings and queens for 6,000 years. But this is a covenant, and that's what makes us unique. And we're in a covenant, and that's what makes us unique. We're the sons and daughters of the king through faith in Jesus Christ. We're not just part of a governmental system of men in Pakistan or India or China or Russia, Serbia, any Latin American country or citizens of the United States. The Bible tells us when we come to Christ, our citizenship is in heaven and we're ambassadors for Christ and we're under the king, we're under a monarchy. Christ reigns supreme. That flag over there with the cross, that flag supersedes that one over there with the 50 stars. I'm grateful for this one, the flag of our fathers, but this is the one that seals my soul for eternity. Blood of men was shed for this one, but the blood of God purchases us from this one. And there's a, well, there's no comparison. This one saves the other most. This one's a fading glory. This is a glory to come. It's that simple. Solomon, as the king of the people of covenant, knew it was beyond him. And as we prayed for Brandon and Patricia and the family earlier, we realized See, they're on the front end at 35 of like maybe 30 years of ministry. I'm on the back end at 61 of 34 years of ministry. Many of you know, it'll be 35 years in ministry in February when Brian Broderson asked me to be a pastor. And I officially became a pastor. It'll be 35 years in February, 35 years from marriage in March. Those are two big dates coming up around the corner. It went so fast. All the experiences. Now I look back, I just told someone this yesterday, I wish I could go back and do it all over again because I, I would apply all those things and don't we all feel that way? I, I would change this, I'd change that. I would have never gotten baited on that. I would have been more faithful at this and I would have definitely not done that, right? Like you, you get older, you do the same thing in ministry. But the thing about serving the Lord, like Solomon is serving the Lord, like the Phillips we pray for tonight, like others that have gone before us and Sam and Joanna, we prayed for Sam and Joanna, the ordination a couple of years ago, right? And all the families here, it was a big special night. Like, like, it, like I prayed that, it says in Timothy, if you desire the work of a pastor, you desire a good work. But it's a supernatural work. And the same with being a deacon, of course. And back in the 80s, when, I, when it was called in the ministry, as Greg Laurie used to say all the time, that it's not your ability, but your availability. And we have to realize that it's not our ability it is our availability. And that Solomon said, we're all sinners, and we need to be saved by grace. And it's not by works that we're saved, but we're his workmanship as we're saved, and he's working in us, in and through us for his good pleasure. And so as we think about our lives here tonight and what we ask for, we realize his self-awareness of Solomon. He says, I can't do it. He would say, all have sinned. He would say that it's beyond him, and he was aware of his inadequacies. We see his humility, and we see his fear of God. 
And for a man that had so much wisdom, we realize that he is crying out for more wisdom. And isn't that something special? He's already the smartest guy in the school. He's already the smartest, smartest guy. He's the smartest guy. He's going to tilt the room intellectually with anyone that comes near him. You're not Because you can go see nitwit kings, right? You're, when you go into Solomon, like the Queen of Sheba, half what I heard isn't even close to what it is. Like, there's been really bad kings in human history that have power and abuse it, and there's been some really good kings and queens that have used it well. Before he even asked for wisdom, he's already the smartest guy in the room. He did things that were incredible for his time. But he knew he couldn't do it on his own. So when the Lord said, ask what, you, what you'll do, he knew that sense of self-awareness that he couldn't do it. And it's like what Jesus said in John 15, in case we ever thought we could, because being raised, going to church, and I always had like, I earned it. I didn't understand the concept that I receive it. When Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, it is finished. And that's when I realized like, wait, why am I trying to earn something that I have to receive? But Jesus in John 15 said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's just not a cute phrase. That's a true phrase for every believer. And I've said this about ministry, especially coming up on 35 years, that half those 35 years, I was trying to figure out how to get out of the ministry. Because if, I always tell people, if you ever doubt that Jesus is real, just try serving him and see how real the devil is. And you'll know how real Jesus is. Skip Isaac, the famous pastor from Calvary, Albuquerque, about 10 years ago at a conference in Tucson, Arizona, got up, and he's a smart guy. He's one of the smart guys in the room. And um, he was reciting statistics for pastors, 1,000 people in ministry leadership. And he's like, oh, you know, in the next year of 1,500 pastors, 1,200 are going to leave the ministry. And of those, 85% of their wives wish their husbands had chosen a different vocation than being a pastor. He has laid it out the way it is. Many are called, but few are chosen. Enter by the narrow gate. I want to go out elite with the Lord. I want to be someone that believes for great things and knows it's not me, but I, I, I believe God can do it. And I know most of you are the same way. It was William Carey, the famous missionary to India, who said over 200 years ago, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And he purposely felt in his life that he wanted to go for things that were so impossible for man that they could never be his glory, but it would have to be God's glory. He knew his own inadequacies in his self-awareness. I'm but a child. When he went to India to be a missionary during the old British colonial era, his stories are just incredible. His large family, his wife actually went clinically insane when they're in India. She was always opposed to the work. His story is incredible. He had to farm these indigo plants, these red dye plants, for years while trying to be a missionary. It's an incredible story. But in the end, when he stepped into eternity, <laughs> he inspired a whole generation of young people to go out to the South Pacific, to the four corners of the world, if you will, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the rest is church history. Just that phrase, attempt great things for God, expect great things for God, inspired an entire generation of Americans and Westerners and even non-Westerners to do to believe God for great things. The sense of our inadequacy is so it's a good thing because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, like we prayed earlier tonight.
He, re- he also requested, so the first thing was that strong sense of self-awareness. He also requested for divine uh, ability and dependence. So he, so he recognizes, like, I can't do it. I'm a little child. But then he says, but what I, I know you can do it, so I'm asking you to give me an understanding heart and wisdom to judge your people to discern good and evil. So he, he specifically asked for what he needed. And again, this, if, if John 15 is you can do nothing apart from me, then the opposite of that positive is that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that's a powerful verse in my life. Before I was truly born again, and I was like, oh, I'm going to serve Jesus in the, the 80s, and I was top pro surfer, and I had the little verse, you know, because in the 80s you could get the little sticker of the bookstore, Philippians 4.13. So I'd have my surfboard. Occasionally there's some old magazine shots. You can see it if you look closely. It's a sticker. And I'd pat on. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In my mind, that wasn't like, oh, I can plant this church in Vermont and not go crazy. Or I can do this memorial for this little kid with the parents sobbing graveside. It didn't mean that to me. It meant I'm going to beat Tom Curran. It meant I'm going to be the world surfing champion. That's what Philippians 4.13 meant to me. When I lost OP Pro Final in front of 100,000 people 40, 39 years ago in Huntington Beach, in front of 100,000 people, largest crowd I ever watched a pro surfing event, and I lost to Tom Curran. I had that sticker on my board. And the whole final, like, I'm going to win because I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. And then I realized that promise was probably misapplied by my theology in 1983. That's just, it was all wrong. But as I went into ministry five years later and went through all kinds of challenging circumstances and where I had to die to myself and things that humbled me, I realized I can do this through Christ. We can do this. The first, the first funeral. Let me tell you something. When you're in ministry, the first funeral you do is like, it's the first funeral. I got up, eight people right there, no one to the right side. I'm in a pulpit. A pie like this is, this isn't going to work. I just got down with a little thing. It's like, hey, your grandmother passed away. Somebody didn't even know, right? That was my first funeral. First wedding, I was so nervous. Oh, my goodness. Like, oh, what? you can wreck a lot of things in life. Don't wreck someone's wedding day. I'm telling you, it's like Major League Baseball, World Series, Game 3 starter. Hey, throw strikes, man. Don't walk anybody. Let's go. It's an apex of emotion, and you have no idea, truly, from the perspective of the minister for a wedding, how intense a wedding day is. And then when you do memorials for little kids, I learned I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, who is sufficient to show up graveside? with a little casket and three chairs. Mom, dad, and baby brother. Who is sufficient for this? And then the same person to go back to Calvary, 2,000 students filling the, the sanctuary and explain to them and build their faith up from first grade through high school. Or when the one girl was running during PE and she died on the grounds right after that. Me and Scott Cunningham were the first pastors there. She died in the bathroom. And her classmate said she was talking to Jesus. And me and Brian Nixon, who's still on our board of directors, former superintendent, we prayed, and we went up to that fifth grade classroom, or that third grade classroom, and walked in there. You know what I saw the first thing? I walked in that room. The classroom was set up with four squared, four kids at a table. And I walked in there, and I saw that table with the missing student. And I had to tell those kids that their classmate was with Jesus. Who is sufficient 
to judge and discern for God's people. Who's sufficient to fill in for Pastor Chuck? I did once. But never a second time, which is never a good sign, by the way. <laughs> when you fill in once, I got, you know, well and all. You know, like, uh, who's sufficient, right? Oh, my goodness. And now I'm 61. I'm almost in eternity. So I'm really glad I committed to the Lord. Aren't you? And aren't you glad for the decisions you made that you know you couldn't do it, but God would equip you to do it, and you're doing it? So whether you're ministering to Muslims from Afghanistan and San Diego all day, or you're doing this, or you're doing that, and whatever the Lord has for you, aren't you glad that's what you're doing? Or you're going to Afghanistan getting off a plane, Jennifer, and the people don't pick you up at the airport in Kabul, but aren't you glad you did that? I'm glad you did. I felt like we did it with you. You will never regret attempting great things for God and expecting great things from God and knowing you can't do it. Bruce, you're a deacon in this time of your life, right? You hit the 70s, and now you're a deacon. Hey, you stepped up and got it done. Chris Gonzalez always says, whatever's next. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad this is the way it's meant to be with the kingdom? So when the the Lord says, what shall I give you? You say, hey, I can't do it good. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So ask for the things that he equips you to do what he wants to do with your life because it's over so fast. You see, you'll never regret the things. And realizing it's the Lord. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And ultimately, what God really has is a greater blessing. That's I love this. Because the last thing we see, so that awareness that we can't do it, but then realizing, asking for the right things, the empowerment by God to do it with man, it's impossible. With God, things are all possible. Our availability truly is our ability. Faith and attempting great things and believing God for great things and seeing a better future than the past that we walked in here with today. September 4th is a greater future for me in the kingdom of God than September 2nd. That's how I see it. And I'm going to see it that way till my last day. It says here, God says, because you asked for these things, verse 11, and you've not asked for long life or riches or the life of your enemies, I'm going to do according to it, but I'm also going to give you riches and honor and all this stuff. But you, you need to walk with me, which is part of it. But I really love how the Lord said, I'm going to bless you beyond measure. See, Solomon asked for the one thing that really mattered, and then God gave him that, and he said, I'm going to give you so much more. And we haven't sung that song for a while, but you're a good, good father. It's a beautiful song. We all love that song, right? Like, that's such a popular song on all the radio stations not so long. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And, and Jesus said it's the Father's desire and will to bless us. He's a good father. It brings him good pleasure to bless us. I love my kids, and I definitely love my grandkids. And I, I think about how to bless them. And any extra wealth, I'm thinking, like, how to spend it on my kids and my grandkids. Any wealth I'm building, it's to form my kids and grandkids. Not that they go to bronze shields, but they can multiply gold shields, I suppose, in faith with Jesus, the spiritual things. God is good. You just think how we naturally want to bless our children and our children's children and that's just a, a, not even a shadow of the fullness of how God wants to bless us. And if you don't know those relationships or you don't have healthy relationships from your parents, that's the way it was. But you need to know God is good. He's a blessing God. I love the story of Elijah and Elisha because Elijah was the great prophet. And before he stepped into eternity, his right-hand kick, his right-hand man there was Elisha. And he asked Elijah what, what he had have. And he said, I want a double portion of what you got. You're the greatest prophet of all time. I want to take that to another level. That's pretty awesome, right? 
Like you say, oh, I want all the wealth in Israel. He goes like, hey, I want a double portion of God's power in my life that you have. And in fact, that's exactly what he got. God gave him a double portion. So much so that when the raiders came that one time, Elisha's uh, body raised the dead. Like he touched the, the, they touched the coffin of his body and someone was raised from the dead. It's pretty amazing, huh? <laughs> your, your casket or your cremated stuff over here and someone touches it and it raises from the dead. That's big time Old Testament stuff right there. A double portion. See, it says in Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do above and beyond all that we could think or ask for his glory in his church. And this is how we need to think. When I think about Brandon and Patricia and what God has for them and, and calling to ministry in South Orange County and Dana Point and stuff, I don't see the cost of high cost of South Orange County. I see people being saved. I see the relationships with people at Doheny. I see the moms at the public school. I see the kids with other kids. Like, I, that's what I see. I see a growing kingdom. When I see Garrett going to Texas with all of his stuff yesterday, I, I see where it's un, unpacked in a whole new beginning, and he's a pastor, and God's going to eventually do a great work in the Fort Worth area. I'm sure of it with these pastors that have gone down there. I'm sure of it. God is able to do abundantly above and all that we could think or ask in our personal life and in his church. And so this, when we think about what would we ask, just know that God, in the end, we realize we can't do it. We realize we need to ask for the power to do it. But then we realize, ultimately, it's not an arduous thing, but it's a blessing. God wants to bless us. David said in the psalm, taste and see that the Lord is good. So I can imagine him talking to Solomon, saying, Solomon, you're super smart. And you're going to be geopolitically, like, off the charts. You're just gonna, you're gonna be incredible. You're gonna have gold shields everywhere. You're just gonna be incredible. All the people that come bow down to you, people are gonna bring you monkeys for your zoo. You know, like you're just incredible. But he said, I want you to know something. Solomon, you need to know the Lord is good. And everything he wants to do in your life is good. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And he wants to bless you, and he's going to bless you. So walk in the ways of the Lord, which is what he said to Solomon in chapter two. And now God in the dream says, You just walk in the ways, and it'll all be good. God wants to bless. And I don't want to come short of any blessing. I've watched a lot of people step into eternity. And it reminds me that I'm stepping into eternity. We're all stepping into eternity. And when that day comes, I don't want to come short of any of those blessings. I just don't. I already feel like I've missed some, right? Like, how can you be 61 and not feel like you've missed something and certain things along the way? Like, oh, I'm so immature with that. Why does that bother me? Like, gosh, I can't change any of it. Forgetting what behind I look forward to what lies ahead to the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we can do. So we just go forward with believing God for great things, expecting God for great things, and knowing he's not done. And we have to give the life. We can be filled with the Spirit. We can ask for his Spirit. We can be empowered and equipped. And we can finish stronger than we... we tomorrow can be stronger with the Lord than anything ever was in our past. And we need to believe that way. We can't limit the future of God's work in our life to some great thing in the past. And we can't limit the future of God's work in the church to some great thing in a tent back in the 70s or something or anything else like that. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we just need the seed of a mustard. We just need the faith of a mustard seed. All, Jesus said, all things are possible if you believe. So we want to believe. We want to believe that we can't do it ask for the things that he'll give us so we can do it and believe him to bless us beyond measure because he's a blessing God in Jesus' name.